John chapter 20. It's great to see everybody here today on this beautiful Easter morning, and i um, glad we were all able to be here. Um, we almost did not make it here because we're riding down 45, and this big red Ford F-150 at about 80 miles an hour decided to play bumper cars, or almost bumper cars, um, and so we're like driving off in the median, like, <laughs> woo, Easter morning. So we're thankful to be, I'm very thankful to be here, because almost didn't make it, literally. But I'm glad everybody's here, I hope you have a blessed Easter day, and um, I'm excited to just stand before you and share a little bit about the resurrection, right? Um, it's kind of worked out that we are just working through the Gospel of John, and now on John chapter 20, here on on this morning, so I'm excited about that, and and I know looking at the crowd I'm talking to today, we all understand that all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection, all right? Um, someone said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you must accept all that he said, but if he did not rise from the dead, then why would you worry about anything he said? He said, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like the teaching of Jesus, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. And I know in this room, we believe, as we say often in the Apostles' Creed, as we sing often in some of our songs, we believe Jesus died and rose again. So today's message is called, I have seen the Lord. You'll, I'll show you where that comes from in a minute. And it comes from John chapter 20. We're going to go from verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read through a verse at a time and, and make some comments. Then I'll give you our main points at the end. Um, if you're all ready to listen to this sermon and you're at John 20, say word. It says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, Unto the sepulchre, and see at the stone taken away from the sepulchre, or the grave, or the tomb. So I want to stop here first and say that John emphasizes Mary Magdalene in this chapter, but what we know from the other gospel accounts is that she was with a group of ladies. And we'll see that here in this text as well, briefly maybe, but, but he emphasizes her and this this situation she runs into with the resurrected Christ. And so I want, but I want you to also notice this. What day of the week did she go? What's it say there? First day of the week. And so Jesus rose on the first day. And so then the early church, as we see right over in the book of Acts, began to meet for worship on the first day of the week, right? And so we've continued that, right? We meet on the first day of the week because Christ rose on the first day of the week. We worship Him every day, right? But we've set aside Sunday to worship Him together. That started here. Mary Magdalene, so she gets up early. They go to the tomb, and she's... Oh, by the way, I want to say this. I put this in my notes here. It says, don't forget. I almost forgot it. It says, don't forget. I will say this to us just as a warning and as a challenge. If the only time we get excited about Christ is Easter or Christmas, we have a spiritual problem. 
And I know people like this. I know people who might go all year rarely mentioning Christ in person or on social media, but today Facebook walls are blasted. And I'm fine with that. I like to see Scripture. I like to see He is risen. But, hey, next Sunday morning, we're going to be right here, if the Lord doesn't come back, celebrating the resurrected Christ, right? And so every week we're going to do that. I almost forgot, forgot it. So Mary Magdalene shows up. She looks, and what does she see in verse 1? The stone is rolled away. It's taken away. And so what does she do? Look at verse 2. Then she runs. She was disturbed by this. She, she runs, and she came, come unto Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. What disciple is that? John, the apostle. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, out of the grave, out of the tomb, and we know not where they have laid him. So she runs to report this to these disciples, to Peter and John. Again, John doesn't refer to himself by name here, maybe showing, a lot of the scholars say he's showing some humility by never mentioning his name. We'll see how that works out for him here in a couple of verses. But did Mary Magdalene expect that Jesus had risen from the grave in these verses? What does she say? They have taken away the Lord. She thought someone had came, moved the stone away, and taken the body of Christ. And we don't know where he is, she says in verse 2. Verse 3 and 4. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, John, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the tomb. So I just mentioned John's humility, but now he's bragging about racing Peter to the tomb. Um, hey, these disciples are human, right? Are human, and we, we discussed this. I know Paul Jr. and I had, have discussed this a couple of times recently in the text, but these disciples had some competitiveness about them, and there's several occasions you can see that in Scripture. And John, I guess it's a humble brag here, I beat him to the tomb. <laughs> or that, that disciple beat him to the tomb. Verses 5, verse 5. And he, stooping down, looking in, and saw the linen clothes lying, Yet went he not in. That's John. He looks. He looks in. He sees the clothes, but he doesn't go in. Why doesn't he go in? It doesn't tell us. Was he being reverent to the grave? Was he just not sure? Well, if he don't go in, guess who will go in? Verse 6. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, John let Peter uh, check it out first, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. So a couple things about this part of the text, um, about these clo the clothing, things that Christ was wrapped in as he was put in this tomb. Um, it's, I think it's... a true statement to say, if Christ's body would have been stolen, those funeral garb, that garb would not have been laying there in such a nice fashion. Probably they'd have been on the floor or it gone with the body. That's something people have said. Now, now there's so much speculation about this napkin, by the way, and, um, and the way it's folded or whatnot. I'm not getting into all that. We might can discuss it on Wednesday night. Um, I think some of that is too much speculation. But what I do want you to see is in verse 8, John, it says he looked, he saw, and he believed. 
Now, the question here is, what did John believe? You know, he had heard Christ make mention to a resurrection, but look at verse 9. It says, they, had not, they, yet, they did not yet understand the Scripture that he must rise again. So a good thought here is, what's he believe? Maybe it's that he believed Mary. He believed her. They did take the body. The body's gone. And so then these guys return back home. I'm sure their, their minds are going like crazy. What's happening? What's happened to the body of Christ? At this point, it appears to me that Mary Magdalene, Simon, and John do not believe Christ is risen. Verse 11. Back to Mary Magdalene. It says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, and she is weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. The first thing that strikes me from this text is, does she even know these are angels? I don't think she does because she does not react how biblical people usually react when there's angels there. They usually fall on their face, right, or they're afraid. And she's weeping about Christ, and she still doesn't believe because she says in verse 13, they've taken him away. I don't know where his body is. She is concerned. She is weeping. And then look at verse 14. And when she had thus said, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, but knew not that it was Jesus. So she turns back out, she sees a man standing there, and Jesus saith unto her, Woman, and this is the woman that's a, a, a caring term, Why weepest thou, whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She thinks this is the gardener, and maybe he's moved the body of Christ. And so, Sir, tell me where you put him. So we can, we can care for the body. Verse 16. Someone said about verse 16, Jesus could preach an entire sermon in one word. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. So she'd already seen him, but didn't recognize him. Probably because she's distraught, right? And it's, she's weeping, her eyes are probably not right. But when she hears him say Mary in whatever way he said it, she responded. She knew this was Christ. It reminds me of another place in John that we studied earlier where it says, His sheep know his voice, and they hear and they follow. And so she hears his word, his, him call her name, she responds, Master, Teacher, verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. I take this to mean that she probably fell down at his feet and just grabbed him. Uh, that's how I take that to mean, you know, if, if someone we thought was gone is now back, that we love, wouldn't we want to grab a hold of them so they wouldn't leave us again? I think that's what happens. And 
again, speaking to that physical body of Christ, which we'll see next week, that he told the disciples, right, touch the body, you know. But he tells her, look, I'm going to be around a little while longer. I'm going to be around until I ascend back to God, to the Father. So go tell the disciples. Verse 18, our final verse. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And she did. Let's look at our two main points. Two main points this morning, and you'll have the message. The first one is the truth of the resurrection. So did the resurrection of Jesus Christ happen? Now for us in this room, most of us, I think, we believe it because, number one, we believe that the Bible is the holy word of God. It's God's word. If the Bible says it, we believe it. And so for us, that's enough, more than enough to trust the word, right? Also for us who are believers, not only do we trust in the word, but as believers, we believe, right, by faith that Christ died for our sins and rose again. And I was trying to, you know, there's all these different theories. And I think last year I probably went through all the different theories of what happened or, or theories that people say happened to Christ. I want to just summarize it in, in three ways uh, here uh, this morning. But number one, here's three possibilities. Number one, Jesus did not really die. You know, he just wasn't all the way dead. He was just, he, he, they put him in that tomb. But he came back a lot. He, he, he was maybe a coma or just, he was unconscious. He came back and got away. Now, that's a pretty ridiculous argument, in my opinion. Number one, the Roman soldiers were good at what they did. They were good executioners. If you remember the story we read last week, to make sure he was dead, what did they do with a spear? In the side. Pierced him. So this, to me, is not a good possibility. The second possibility is that the disciples, and as Jason mentioned earlier, Hundreds, up to 500 other people made up the story of the resurrection knowing it was a lie, and then they were willing to die for it. Is that possible? Could these disciples and these other people, would they make up a false story about the resurrection of Christ and let that cause them to live a short life, the rest of their life short, because they were, they were punished and martyred for Christ? I don't think that's a good answer either. So the third possibility is that the resurrection of Christ is a historical fact. You see, there are other options out there. We won't go through them this morning, but many of them ignore history. Um, to be honest, if you look at all these, the first two possibilities really require faith as well, a different kind of faith than what we have. But we hold to number three, don't we? It's a fact. I read an article this week. I won't give you all the details to it. It was three lawyers who were, um, who were not Christian, and they did this big study on the resurrection of Christ, and taking all the evidence, uh, they said that the resurrection of Christ, by evidence, could not be disproven. And these are secular, non-Christian lawyers who just took the evidence and tried to present it with reason, and they said it could not be disproven. Let me give you another piece of evidence based on today's text. Maybe something you've thought about, maybe something you've never thought about. But in Bible times, right, women were often not used as witnesses 
because they were often considered untrustworthy witnesses. That's not how I feel. I love women. My, my wife's not in here, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I believe you ladies are very trustworthy. <laughs> but this is a different time, right? Different culture back then, right? And so, here's why I mention that. In John 20, if they made this up, if someone in John's day made this up, they would not say the first witness of Christ is this lady Mary Magdalene. They certainly would not have done that. They would have chosen a man. Just a point I thought about from the text here. So we believe this is a fact. That's the truth of the resurrection. So why is it important? Let me give you a few things here. Why is it important? I think I have three or four for you. Number one, it means God is all-powerful. If God can raise the dead, and if Christ can lay down his life and take it up again, that means Christ, God, is all-powerful. Number two, it means that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he said he was. It validates Christ's claims. It shows us the truth of them. I want to say to you as well, this resurrection of Christ shows us that Christianity is unique. Every other religion has a prophet, a messiah, a cult leader, whatever, who died and stayed dead. Christianity, our Savior died, but he did not stay dead. He could not be held down by death and the grave. He even said earlier in John, I am the resurrection and the life. Number three, it means that he can give us eternal life. He paid for our sins. He overcame death. If we trust him, if we trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life. Someone said the death of Christ on the cross was the payment and the resurrection was a receipt showing that the payment was complete in the sight of God the Father. Number four, it means that our bodies will one day be raised to life. And we need to know this, but I think the older we get, the more stuff we go through in life, the more loss we experience, the more pain, and I mean that physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, every type of pain, every type of suffering we see around us, whether it's destructions from storms or just family issues, whatever it might be, there's, it, to me it becomes more, pre this becomes a more precious promise that one day we will be raised to life. First Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring those who die to Him in Christ. The resurrection matters. It matters to your salvation this morning. If you don't know Christ, you need to know about the cross, but you need to know about the empty tomb. Victory over sin and death. So that's the truth of the resurrection. Let me give you quickly the, the testimony of the resurrection. I told you John focuses on Mary Magdalene here, and so we must focus on her as well. Um, there are so many um, theories out there about her. False theories that are unbiblical, unscriptural, theories that are honestly blasphemous right, to Christ about Mary Magdalene, and we won't dive into those, but here's what we do know. On this first, the resurrection, the first day of the week, resurrection day, she came with this group of ladies to 
to honor Christ or to care for Christ in some way. And she did it for a reason. First, let me show you, or you can listen to Luke 8, 2. In Luke 8, 2, it says, Certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, including Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons. Mary Magdalene was a lady who was demon-possessed, according to Luke chapter 8. Now, we don't know how that manifested itself, but her life was in ruin. Her life was messed up. And in Luke 8, Jesus heals her, not only physically, but spiritually. She believes and she follows him. And we read about her a few other times throughout the Gospels. She follows him, and on this day, she comes to the tomb. And as I told you earlier, she's like, someone stole the body. Well, let's look at two things about the, the testimony. First, what did she tell? In verse 18, after she had seen Christ, after she had heard Christ say her name, she went to the disciples, and here's what she, she told them. I've seen him. He's alive. He spoke to me. Maybe she said, I touched him. I mean, I, I cling to his ankles. I, you know, she obeyed him. Can you imagine those disciples in that room feeling like all hope is lost? Their master has died. And she runs in there and says, he's alive. I just came from the tomb. He is alive. Talk about sharing. That's not good news. That's great news, all right? Um we got a lot of babies in the church right now and a few more babies on the way. And I know yesterday we had a baby reveal. That's a big thing now. I'm too old. We never had baby reveals. Our baby reveal was when the doctor said, it's a boy. Oh, it's a girl. But I know those are big things. Those are special things, right, to find out what that baby's going to be, boy or girl, and to have a big party, a big celebration to announce that to everybody. Hey, we're having a girl. We're having a boy, whatever it may be. It's special to tell good news like that. But in all of human history, there's never been a better good news than her saying to these guys, he is alive. He's alive. And we, as believers, can learn as much as we can about the Bible. We should learn it from Genesis to Revelation. We should learn theology and the history behind the Bible and all that we can, but we must never forget the foundational truth when we talk to ourselves, our family, our friends, other people. We must never forget the foundational truth, the cornerstone. Christ died and rose again. He's alive. The second thing here is, why did she tell it? And if nothing else, if nothing else means anything to you this morning, I hope this part will. And before I explain this, I want to give you a story from Luke 7. Why did she tell it? Well, she was indebted to Christ. So in Luke chapter 7, there's the story of a Pharisee who invites Jesus into his house, and he says, Jesus, come eat with us. While Jesus is there eating with these Pharisees, a woman of the city who, who was, the Bible says, a known sinner, she comes in and she takes this ointment and she begins to weep and wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. You've heard these stories before. But have you heard this part? So one of these Pharisees says, Man, Jesus should know this, this woman's a sinner. 
she's bad. I mean, she's got a reputation around town. If he knew that, he would not let her sit there and anoint him and, and be that close to him. I'm paraphrasing here. And Jesus says, well, can I teach you something? He says, yes. Then he says this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? He answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. In this passage about Mary Magdalene, I think we see that those who've received grace, whom God has brought from death to life, who've received that spiritual benefit from Christ, they love him the most. She was at once Satan's possession, but now loved by Christ, she felt like she owed him. Here's a quote. Many Christians do so little for Christ because they feel such a low sense of debt and obligation to Christ. Now, I'll go back to that, that quote. I want to make sure we make something clear here. We don't serve Christ or do much for Christ to gain His approval because we are approved in Christ, right? We can't gain His love, gain His approval, gain justification. That only comes through Christ. But if God has saved us, if He's loved us that way, that should be reflected in how we love Him. The next thing is this, another quote here. The more we understand the sinfulness of sin and the amazing grace of Christ, the more we will be passionate in our lives for Him. This is why oftentimes people in church who feel entitled rarely are the ones who serve the most. Oftentimes people who feel privileged oftentimes serve the most. I often tell the story that Jesse and I, our first ministry, I was a youth and music minister in Macomb, Mississippi, and it was a kind of a new church, kind of like this one years ago, and um, we would invite these teenagers, and we would have a few like affluent teenagers, well-dressed, well-spoken, and then we would also run a van ministry an hour and a half before and after every service, and we would pick up a dozen kids that weren't affluent, kids that had nothing. One time I went to one of these kids' house, and there's a little trailer, and I'll never forget this, the baby's on the floor eating mac and cheese out of a butter dish, which I'm not judging, we use butter dishes as Tupperware in my house too, but this baby is eating this, and uh, as the baby's eating, these two cats come over and start eating out of the same bowl, and I'm just watching this like, is somebody going to do something about this? And so I kind of made my way over there, and the people saw me clearly do this. I kicked the cat out of the way. <laughs> the baby's trying to eat this food. Get the cat away from here. I kicked their cat. They said nothing. I don't know. These kids who had nothing, when they came to church, they would listen to every word I said when I tried to preach to them. These kids who had nothing, if I said, hey, we're going to take up a little, off, a little love offering tonight, they would reach in their pockets and see if they had anything. And if they had a dollar, they'd give it. 
is it possible that sometimes we're so blessed and affluent with blessings of life that we don't serve God the way we should? Give me a church full of grateful, undeserving sinners who've been touched by grace, and that's a church I'll be happy with. Jesus paid it all, what? All to Him I owe. Are we passionate about Christ like this? Someone said, made a great point last Sunday in that parking lot out here. And their point was this, that one thing special about our church is that so many of us, including the pastors here, have experienced hurt in previous churches or conflict in previous churches. And some of you have, some of you have similar testimonies as well. And this person said, that's one thing that kind of brings us together is we just want to make, make it work. We want to make church work and just love, love each other and just figure things out. And I love that idea. I never thought about it that way in a, in a while, but that's true. Um, and I think that's helped us. Our, our, many of us that are members here, our previous experiences have helped us. But I don't want that to be our theme that we're going to do church better. Although I do want to do church better. I want our theme to be Christ. And what's that church out there about? What's that church on the road about? Are they about a big choir? Are they about an amazing youth ministry? Are they about all these activities? Are they about a funny preacher? I hope we get to the point that people say, they just focus on Christ. I hope we can annoy the community with our focus on Christ. That they're like, some people would actually say, I don't really even want to go there. They just focus on Christ. I wish that would be our testimony. Let Christ be our theme. Let Christ be our story. And if we've been saved by grace through faith in Him, as Mary Magdalene was, then not only will we have a story to tell, but we will, we will try to share that story. And one of the most convicting quotes I've shared, I think I shared this last year at some point. I'm going to share it again. Uh, maybe. I'm going to read it to you. This is, of course, J.C. Ryle. Ryle says, Everyone who has received the grace of God and tasted that Christ is gracious ought to find words to testify of Christ to others. Where is our faith if we believe that souls around us are perishing and that Christ alone can save them and yet remain silent? Where is our love if we can see others going down to hell and yet say nothing to them about Christ and salvation? We may well doubt our own love to Christ if our hearts are never moved to speak of Him. We may well doubt the safety of our own souls if we feel no concern about the souls of others. This is great news, the resurrection. And I pray that it would sink into our hearts, the truth of it, and we, that we would worship God and serve God, but also be willing to be a witness, a testimony to Christ. All of Christianity hinges on the question, does Jesus live? So church, does he live? Do we serve a risen 
Savior. And I hope you would say to that, yes and amen. Let's pray.